Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. Hello, and I am so excited to have an extraordinary guest. She does so much. I literally became exhausted just reading all the different things that Shreya Swaminathan does on a daily basis to help animals, people, and the planet. You are very, very involved with the work of PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. We're going to get to that in a second. But you wrote an article about Unchained TV, which is our new global streaming network. And we were so grateful that you did this. And it it made me realize that we are different. Just like we say in our movement, our vegan animal rights movement, you don't have to die for me to live. You don't have to lose for me to win. We can live in a world of natural abundance. So vegan media is the same way. Instead of being cutthroat competitors, we're like, I want to do a story on you and you can do a story on me. And there's this tremendous sense of being supported. And I want to thank Veg World Magazine for doing a wonderful article on our streaming network, Unchained TV. And I thought, you know, this is a story uh, because we are supporting each other, just like vegan meat alternative companies. They don't talk in terms of, I'm going to put the other person out of business. They say, I totally support what they're doing and I wish them the best. Can you address First of all, the rise of vegan media and how we are different than mainstream media. Shreya. Yes. First off, thank you for that very kind and generous uh, introduction. It was kind of overwhelming to hear all of those uh, very thoughtful, kind words. So thank you so much, Jane, for having me on. And yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the space of vegan and plant-based media is really growing and you've been a huge part of that in um, bringing these important issues into the mainstream. And I think through my experience writing, I've contributed some pieces for Veg News as well. And um, now I do more part-time work with Veg World. And something that I've really noticed is how supportive these media outlets are in that they share one another's stories or, you know, um, and the people that I've had the pleasure of interviewing for different pieces. Um, and th- it's a question that I bring up a lot as well. Like, how do you feel about XYZ company who's creating a very similar product to yours? And um, an answer that I get so often, in fact, every single time is that, we're not competitors. We're all on the same team. It is, we are all working towards the same goal, be it for the animals, be it for the planet, for our health, whatever, whatever the end goal is, it's the same. And we, we are all part of the same solution and we are coming at it from different angles. And what's important is that we don't start fighting amongst each other, but present a united front and take down this, uh, the, the harmful systems and industries that are actually causing um, unimaginable harms to animals and the planet. So that I think 
the the media does hold a lot of responsibility in that. I will say that I haven't had any formal uh background education in journalism. My background is um, in science and stem cell and regenerative biology, which I'm sure we'll chat a little bit about later. But I was always excited to hear stories of revolutionaries and game changers in the space of providing these really unique and creative solutions to complex problems that, again, our species has created, but also um, providing that option of, hey, look, we have a better way and we want to support others who are also providing this better way of doing so. And I think um, being in a space where I get to interact with people who are doing that and presenting this to the world is something that I'm just so grateful for. And thank you. So well said. The reason we need vegan media is that mainstream media has a blackout on veganism and animal rights. And it's truly extraordinary. Even when the New York Times finally did publish a story in late February saying the scientific community has concluded beyond a reasonable doubt, whatever the phraseology they used, by a preponderance of the evidence that the scientific community is coming together and say the evidence is overwhelming that the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic started at the wet market in Wuhan, China, which is a slaughterhouse, which is where people gather to slaughter animals to consume them, domestic and wild. And before we say, oh, look at them, there's about 100 wet markets in New York City. There's dozens here in L.A., and they're all over the United States and the world. This is a global problem. And yet you would think six million people dead globally. It's disrupted our economy. It's disrupted everybody's life. You'd think that everybody would pick up on that. Crickets. Crickets. Nobody reported on it. Uh, that I could see, and I was looking out for it. Now, there was the war in the Ukraine and a couple, you know, other tragedies happening, but that is a story that the news media has devoted hundreds and hundreds of hours to, thousands of hours to, discussions. Anthony Fauci on day after day after day. You'd think when the scientific community concludes that, yes, it was the consumption of animals that is the reason why this thing happened and it jumped from animals to humans at a slaughterhouse that people would report on it. And I know, having been in the media for 40 years, the mainstream media, that the reason that doesn't happen is look at the advertisers, look at the commercials, meat, dairy and pharmaceuticals for the most part. The very industries that would suffer and collapse if people started eating plant-based and got healthy. So nobody has to knock on your door and say, don't cover that. Any Anybody who, who is smart enough to get a job knows, oh, that those are the people keeping the lights on. Those are the people paying the bills. We can't say anything. When COVID-19 swept through the slaughterhouses, uh, in fact, the word slaughterhouse was never used. It was called food processing facilities or meatpacking facilities. So you you write articles for Veg World magazine. There's mine, UnchainedTV.com. We also have um, all sorts of other um, news media like a Veg uh, News and TheirTurn.net and Plant Based News. 
and um, my gosh, Lady Freethinker and oh, all of these these media popping up. And I apologize if I've left anyone out, but these these media groups are popping up. Live kindly. Um, all of these groups are popping up to fill a void because they're not telling the most important stories of the day. Now, that brings me to PETA because PETA is truly brilliant at getting the word out. Maybe not through a formal publication or a periodical or a magazine, but they have a huge, huge communications team and a communications department. Whenever I get an email from PETA, I stop whatever I'm doing because I know there's an action point in there. And there's something I can do very quickly to send a letter or letters or sign a petition or do something and then I'm immediately informed afterwards that, yes, I did that. Thank you. Now, here's another action you can take. I, I, I know that it's not a waste of time because every single time there is uh, action there. So can you tell me a little bit about your experience at PETA and what you're doing now, but also speaking of communications, their communications ability? Yeah. Wow. Um so I joined PETA a little over a year and a half ago. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I have a science background. And so I work um, as a research associate. And just to give a brief overview of what I do is I work on several campaigns that have to do with animal experimentation and working alongside other scientists, medical professionals, um, policymakers to really push for a future of advanced human relevant animal free science. And um, that's something that I've always been passionate about. And I felt like it was a great way to combine my love for science and my passion for fighting for animal rights. So um, grateful for this incredible community of folks that I get to work with at PETA every day. And yeah, as far as the communications go, it's it blows my mind how incredible the team is. They are so quick, they're so diligent and so strategic in their approach on how to reach out to people, who to pitch to, making um, forming good connections with people who are sympathetic to animal rights or different um, aspects of animal rights, be it animals who are experimented on, who are being raised in the food supply chain, being used for fashion, entertainment, et cetera, et cetera. There is a team dedicated to each and every one of these different um, avenues of animal exploitation. And I think having that, that team is so helpful as far as different campaigns goes, because, you know, if we have a campaign against a certain entity at a certain city, someone has a contact there and or someone has covered a similar issue in the past. So it's been such a, and I, I just I can't even think of a word right now because it's just, I, I'm always amazed by how um, diligent the team is and the the work that we do, like you said, the action alerts make it so simple for the public to take action. And you get text alerts. All you have to do is text um, a certain word to a number. And hey, there, there you go. Like that's you've either signed a petition, a letter has been sent on your behalf. Like they make it so easy for people to take action and make sure that your voice is being heard and that you're able to 
uh, make your voice heard also on behalf of countless animals. So I'm just thankful that they've thought this through. How do we make this as easy as possible for the everyday person to just take action and or just, okay, share this link with your community or um, share this uh, with your community so they can also take action. And then that just adds to more signatures on a petition, more uh, letters being sent to your local and uh, your local representatives. It's, it's things that, that maybe you're not thinking of on a daily basis, but then you see, oh, there's this campaign. And I, I really care about these animals who are being tortured in this facility. And so I want to stop that. And I'm, this is the way that I'm going to do that. So I think it's a very, um, it's just such a brilliant process to, to further whatever campaign it is that we are fighting on. And what I like is that PETA has not gotten bogged down in bureaucracy. Like when we launched Unchained TV, our global streaming network, which has just really taken off. One of the first groups I called, will you, will you contribute your videos, was PETA. And PETA, boom, within a flash, had all the videos to me. I can't say I've had that experience with all the organizations. We've had great success with quite a few organizations, and I appreciate them all. In Defense of Animals, Animal Outlook, um, NutritionFacts.org, Switch for Good, the Animal Safe Movement, Plant-Based Treaty. Again, I don't want to leave anybody out, but the list is long. But I was just really uh, impressed with how there. usually when organizations get very big, there's a lot of bureaucracy and it's hard to get the bigger the group, the bigger the organization, the harder it is to get a decision. And boom, they had those videos to me in two seconds flat. And it really helped jumpstart our new global streaming network because they're very well produced and there were a lot of celebrities and you know we live in a celebrity culture so <laughs> when it's a world famous tennis player saying that uh, she's gone vegan and it's helped her energy that is like exponentially more powerful than just some regular tennis player like me saying oh i went vegan and uh you don't want to see me playing tennis anyway, but the point oh, I'm is, there with you. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is that uh, I'm always impressed by the speed as well because the clock is ticking. Yeah. Now, Shreya, tell us specifically what you do because right after people consuming animals, which is completely destroying our planet, their health, and obviously torturing the animals in an industrialized killing machine that is just never been seen before in human history. And it's really in the last, this, in my lifetime, unfortunately, I kind of parallel the rise of fast food in terms of my birth. And um, it's, it's the biggest killing of animals that has ever occurred. I mean, more animals are killed in uh, a day than all the humans have died in all the wars in human history. And for what? So that people can get heart disease, so they can eat processed meat, which is officially cancer causing according to the World Health Organization, so they can have heart attacks, so they can get uh, you know, the list of things that they can get in terms of illnesses and the illnesses that are reversed once they switch to a plant-based diet. And then you have the climate. I mean, the, some of the big environmental groups not acknowledging the role that animal agriculture plays in climate change and how much higher the carbon footprint of a meat dish is from a vegan dish. At COP26, um, 
which was the Glasgow Environmental Summit where all the world leaders gathered to figure this out. They served ham sandwiches and Unchained TV had a reporter there and we were the only news organization that went in and videotaped the actual meals that they were serving. And there it was. I was like, holy bleep, they are serving ham at a vegan conference. And they also had a few token vegan dishes, it would appear. So the new, the Washington Post did an article because they also included the carbon footprint, excuse me, the carbon price tag of every meal. And the Washington Post, no friend of vegans, wrote an article that said, well, wait, if the ham sandwich is so much exponentially higher in terms of its climate cost, its climate price tag, then the the tofu dish and the vegan dish, why on earth did a climate conference even serve it? So it kind of backfired on them because it, it highlighted with that carbon price tag exactly how much worse eating uh, a meat meal is than eating a plant-based meal. And the other thing I'll say, it's something we can do three times a day. You know, and not everybody can run out and buy a Tesla. But three times a day, we can help reverse climate change with a vegan diet. And yet the media doesn't talk about it, which is why I started Unchained TV, which is why you, on top of doing all the hard work at PETA, also work at Veg World Magazine. And um, we are trying to get the word out any way we can. The, the temperatures are getting to the point where it is unlivable, okay? In large swaths of the United States, and an IPCC reviewer, an Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change reviewer said, this is an appetizer. This is just the start, the main course of climate change, drought, decertification, aridification, ocean dead zones, incredible heat, extreme weather. It's just starting. So, and our government, of course, is the one subsidizing meat and dairy. So they're creating the problem they purport to want to solve. Um, before we move on to your work with uh, PETA uh, undercovering the torture of animals in labs, also completely unnecessary and a waste of money, what you have a great perch from which to view the vegan space. You, you are at PETA, you also work at a magazine, you also do tons of other things. I had to actually make a list because you do so much. Um, but where are we? Because the clock is ticking, there are those who say, literally, we have a de- less than a decade to switch to a vegan, a plant-based culture. That doesn't mean there's going to be vegan police running around checking to see whether your belt is leather. It means that when you go into a restaurant, the default will be plant-based and the meat will be the outlier. Where are we, considering that we're in a race against time? Shreya. Yeah, well, that's a big question. Um where are we? I, you know, most of the spaces that I am involved in, like you said, are centered in animal rights, be it at PETA, be it at Veg World. I um, also took a vegan hospitality consulting training course so I can help restaurants achieve just that, um, where plant-based items are just very easily accessible and hopefully the default. So, um, after my training, I launched Nourished by Shreya, which is my hospitality consulting um, service that I hope to expand on in the future as well by helping restaurants um, cater to this immediate need for a plant-based, plant-powered 
food system as well. And something that I've noticed while speaking to a lot of restaurateurs, um, more local, uh, local restaurants in the area is that they see that, yeah, this is something that is really important and we've got to do it, but like X, Y, Z, whatever reason, be it budget, be it, oh, we don't know if there's like going to be much of a demand for that because like maybe people, the vegans aren't coming there because they know they don't have the options there. So being able to, I, I do see that there's still a lot of misinformation, um, lack of education as to what um, folks are looking for. Um, they think it's just a salad, which, hey, if that's what you like, good. But a lot of people are still wanting that, um, that one, well, I guess not a 100% replica, but a fairly close um, uh, replacement. I like to call them upgrades to animal products because I think the plant-based options are far better. Um, and so I think there is still um, an, an element of education that is needed in the space, but also as far as I'm glad that you mentioned the subsidies and bailouts that are going towards animal agriculture. And I've had the pleasure of um, interacting with the Agriculture Fairness Alliance as well. And they're doing some incredible work on the legislative front to push for a plant-based food system as a default in the country and helping farmers transition into uh, from these harm environmentally harmful practices to a more sustainable plant-based system. So they have so many wonderful resources on that. So I will say that while there are some gaps in knowledge, gaps in action that I am seeing personally, there is also there are also several organizations that are coming in to fill that void, like AFA, for example, like the Rancher Advocacy Program by our good friend Renee Kingsonen, who also has a and we're seeing so many farmed animal rescue sanctuaries coming up um, everywhere, micro sanctuaries and. Um, so I'm seeing people getting very creative in being able to see, okay, what is it that I can offer in this space? What can I do to contribute to the solution? And they are doing that. And I think it's so beautiful and so valuable and so inspiring. And I coming back to the the journalism uh, angle, it's it's so much more exciting for me as well because it's like, oh my gosh, so many more stories to bring to the world. So it's kind. It's while I try not to be overly um, uh, misled in my optimism because it's very easy to see uh, an exciting headline and being like, whoa, this is happening, and uh, the, a vegan world is near, and. Uh, but we don't read the fine print, you know? So once we, so I try to be critical in when I come into um, any sort of pitch, like, okay, where can I, um, how is this offering a solution? How powerful is this going to be to disrupt this larger scale system? And how are we going to form allies within the vegan animal rights, environmental rights community? So we are presenting a united front. So that's something that I always try to address, even in my interviews. Something that I really appreciate with Veg World is that um, we are really 
what it's really important to us to present animal rights and activism and not always have to have that, you know, that flowery fun language, because unfortunately that's not the reality of the situation. So when I do approach a lot of interviews, I feel um, supported in being able to ask certain questions about, okay, like how are we going to um, change the system? Like how are, how are we going to, um, you know, tackle these larger issues and be a, being able to really get into the nitty gritty. And sometimes I have had the opportunity to interview folks who are not all plant-based businesses, but they are either starting a plant-based line. And for me, animal rights, animal protection, animal liberation is at the core of whatever it is that I do. So I use that as an opportunity to perhaps plant that seed in their mind as well. So I try to ask like, okay, how are, how do you see this line of products um, growing? And perhaps do you see that taking over? Do you see that being the default for the well-being of the planet? And of course, countless animals. So I always make it a point to present that hey, the animals are also a part of this and I don't want them to be ignored. So I make it a point to bring that up as well. So yeah, I think I'm, I'm seeing a lot of um, work that needs to be done, but I'm also seeing a lot of game changers who are doing that work as well. So it's a, it's a fun time for sure. As Nelson Mandela said, it always seems impossible until it's done. People have absolutely scoffed at the idea of a vegan world. And uh, I've been listening to a lot of history as I take my daily walks on Audible. And it's amazing what people have scoffed at. People have laughed at people who said they were going to fly planes. Uh, people have laughed at so many things that have then come and been game changers. And um, of course, there were people who felt the Pony Express would never go away. And then, of course... <laughs> You know, uh, board came in. <laughs> exactly. And so, but again, I also feel like we have to be realistic. And I often, I venture outside the vegan bubble and I'm shocked and horrified uh, because I think a lot of vegans are in a vegan bubble and we see things changing because, oh, I'm going to the opening of the new vegan restaurant, which I was just did this week. There was a, uh, uh, stand up burgers, incredible yes. vegan restaurant, really super amazing. Stand up. But then okay. you you go outside. I was invited to a friend's birthday party who's not vegan, and I was shocked. I mean, it was right here in LA. It was at a hotel. They had basically no vegan options. They would act like I was asking for you know brain surgery every time I said, "Well, can I?" I'm here having dinner. And, um, oh, yeah, we'll get something. And then they finally brought out uh, like a cauliflower that reeked of steak because it was cooked right on the grill. And it was the last thing I said, you don't want to discriminate against me because I felt like it was actually a form of discrimination, what they were doing. And I was like, oh, my God, this is a wake up call. We haven't gotten that far uh, because this is your average hotel. OK, exactly. this isn't your hot Hollywood hotel. This was just some average hotel in L.A. that I went. And so every so often we have these wake up calls like, oh, my God, we've got to get out of the vegan bubble, which I have to say is why I started Unchained TV, because 
It's a global streaming network. Anybody with an Apple TV device, an Amazon Fire Stick, or a Roku device, or a smartphone, you can watch it right here on the phone. Just put in Unchained TV, and you can download it for free. We don't even ask for your um, email. We want to make it as free, easy as possible. Free is the number one search term on uh, for streaming device users. They don't want to pay anything. So everything we offer, including all the great PETA videos that they sent us, is 100% free, and it's reaching a different audience around the world. So that's what I'm concerned about in our movement is the vegan bubble. I've gone to another reason is I've gone to a million uh, openings and festivals where we're showing a film and everybody in the room is already vegan. What's the point of that? Yeah, it makes us feel good, but... No, we need to need we we have to reach people who don't have this information. We're going to take a short break here on Voice America Radio. We're going to be back in a couple of minutes with Shreya. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Get Unchained. Tune in every Monday for Jane Unchained on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Featuring nationally recognized, best-selling author, TV journalist, and social media influencer, Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Jane Unchained Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. We are here with Shreya Swaminathan. Uh, she has so many hats. We would be here all day telling you all the different things. So we just focused first on the article she writes for Veg World magazine and the rise of vegan media, that there are so many different um, media outlets that are cropping up, including Unchained TV, UnchainedTV.com. And Shreya did a wonderful article about our new streaming network. And so it, it provoked me to think, wow, 
you know, there is Veg World magazine. Lady Freethinker did a wonderful article. Viva Glam is supposed to post an article today. Theirturn.net. Uh, Plant-Based News gave us a shout out on their social media, which is a very powerful platform that they have. And I felt so supported by the vegan community. And then it made me realize that we're not cutthroat like these newspapers that have newspaper wars, we're, we all have the same mission to wake people up. So we support each other, which is so wonderful. Now we're going to talk about Shreya's work with PETA's Laboratory Investigations Unit. Tell us what's happening there because the billions being spent and we saw with the pandemic when they had to churn out a drug very quickly, a vaccine very quickly, which wouldn't have involved years of torturing animals, although some animals were used, that that whole process is unnecessary. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, my work at PETA, it's like, what doesn't PETA do, right? They're, they're doing everything that involves animal abuse, animal exploitation, and trying to, to really champion a future of a, for a kinder world to animals. Um, I actually, funny story how I came into PETA was starting off, I was in graduate school, I wanted to focus on developing these alternatives to animal models. So I decided to go the the PhD route of working, you know, creating these animal free models that could hopefully replace the animals being used in science. So I have been on the side of the, the development side, you know, the, the research side. And what I noticed was the environment didn't, as much as the grant applications would say like, yeah, we want to cure XYZ disease, but the experiments that I was doing didn't seem very geared towards that end goal. It was more towards, oh, it's not working on the human cells. All right, I guess we'll, let's just use the mouse cells or let's just do this experiment on um, like a mouse cell line or um, because they're just going to be easier to work with and then we can get a publication. And to me, that didn't really make sense that it was very, but at what point are we going to start troubleshooting getting this to work in the human-based model, right? Is it, are we just going to keep doing the same thing because it works better here and that we're not putting in the resources to make it work on the model that's probably going to actually mimic the human disease? And it was like, yeah, but then the reagents we need for that are more expensive or, you know, the, so it, it, it seemed very clear to me that what was being prioritized was not so much what I was wanting to achieve. And for me, it was all about replacing animal testing. And so during the pandemic, I was forced to sit with these thoughts of not being happy in graduate school. And uh, yeah, long story short, I decided to leave graduate school and work towards the same goal of ending animal experimentation, but at the mothership of animal rights at PETA. So um, I applied to a position uh, as a research associate, got the position. And what I currently do is you know, work on solving the problem that I recognized during my graduate school days and working on the policy side, but also alongside other researchers um, who are wanting to 
changed the paradigm of experiments, um, working with medical professionals who also value the importance of more clinically relevant science and uh, policymakers and legislators who really do care about this issue and also um, urging the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, who are the leading funder of biomedical research, who are really not incentivizing animal-free research. In fact, most of like billions and billions of dollars, like you have said, are being funneled towards these crude animal experiments that the NIH themselves have acknowledged time and time again, aren't translating into effective human treatment. In fact, just um, over 95% of drugs that pass animal testing fail in human-based trials. So I want to say that again, because that yes. is to me the bottom line. Yes. Exactly. So we got it. We've got to torture these animals in these horrific experiments that watching five minutes of it will leave you traumatized for life. I kid you not. Heartbreaking. Yes. It's heartbreaking. They're traumatized and they're tortured without pain meds and then they're killed. And for what? 95% say the statistic again. Yeah. 95% of treatments that pass these horrific, painful animal experiments fail in human trials. And so there are people out there waiting for, what's, what's the excuse that they get? They get for, for animal experiments, it's that we gotta do this so that we can cure diabetes, so that we can cure Alzheimer's. But, and so there are people out there waiting hopefully for a, a treatment. And it's just time and time again, it, it, to me, it seems cruel to, to use that kind of vulnerability to, to keep experimenting on animals is people are waiting for, for treatments that they're not getting. And what PETA is saying, we're not saying that we're anti-science, we're saying, hey, instead of funding this, why don't you start incentivizing um, animal-free research that are going to be using these advanced models? Let's start developing these advanced models. Let's provide a framework to help researchers transition from having to use animals into these more model, uh, modern, advanced, human-based science that's, that is more likely to, to provide a, a better solution. And, you know, and this is something that I, I also talk about when I have these conversations with people, you know, when someone says, Hey, do you have a headache here? Take this medication. And I've been on one end where it's like, yeah, that actually doesn't work for me, but it might work for one person. So when there is so much variation between people, humans who are taking different drugs, how do we expect a whole different species of animals to tell us that, okay, this is going to be good for you. This, this treatment is going to work for you. So this, this is a time to really work on personalized medicine, to work on human-based medicine that is going to better provide a treatment that's going to work for you without having to have you wait for how, who knows how many decades 
um, for a treatment and also spares the lives of so many animals whom you wouldn't condone any living being to be treated that way. But as soon as it's like, oh, we have to do this so that we can cure whatever disease that becomes acceptable. It's just very strange to me. And I will say that I had been on the side where I was like, I'm not comfortable with it, but I suppose we got it if we have to do it. But at this point, I'm like, why is it that we got to do it that way when there is a better way? And that better way is, is not being supported by federal agencies who have the, the, the resources to incentivize um, universities and other private uh, private uh, um, ventures and pharmaceutical companies to really start making the shift. And I am seeing that more in the private sector, but those who are receiving funds from the NIH are just being looped into the status quo. And PETA is really pushing for what's called the research modernization deal, which is a fantastic document that is outlining a very clear trajectory, a clear framework to start getting the ball rolling and pushing for this future of animal-free science. And Wait, wait I want to jump in. The research yes. modernization deal. What yes. is that? This is our lead because this is a key thing that could be a game changer. We've been... When I first started my career, just around the time that PETA was getting started, I saw uh, a videotape that somebody sent me of a head injury experiments being done on primates that mm-hmm. it was it would curl your hair. It was so awful. The and silver spring scientists, yes, um, they were playing rock music and laughing. I mean, it was disgusting. It made me embarrassed to be a human being. We've been talking about how horrific animal experimentation is for a long time. But we have to move the needle. And I know that there have been changes, but we need that game changer. Um, You know, we're seeing that the head of the NIH has resigned. He was a vivisector. The NIH, the National Institutes of Health, is packed with vivisectors. So they, they have their thumb on the scale. They're in the let's torture animal school camp. So what we need is a massive shift. What is this research modernization deal? Is it an act? Is it a proposed legislation? What exactly is it? So it is. Um, so I, it's a it's a very comprehensive document that is a, a proposal that's being put up. And what we're looking to do is to garner support not only politically but also from other universities and other research organizations to support this proposal that outlines how we can phase out animal experimentation and implement other um, systems of checks and balances that will ensure that there is no um, uh, like that the use of animals is not the defaults. That's not what people go to. And we're really also pushing for the NIH, like you said, to re-channel the funding that is being directed predominantly to um, animal-based experiments from the looks of it into helping 
um, scientists to phase out abusing animals and providing these funds to help them make the switch to animal-free methods. So folks who are interested can go to PETA.org and check out the research modernization deal. And the more support we get, um, the more the more on the forefront it's going to be with your local um, policymakers as well. So if once you take action, like you mentioned, Jane, PETA makes it so easy to take action. You just got just urge your local representatives and state senators to to back the research modernization deal. Okay, but is it an act? Is it a piece of legislation? It's not a piece of legislation from my understanding. It is a proposal that we are hoping will eventually um, evolve into um, legislation. Yeah, into legislation. Now, it's my understanding. Yes. Okay. so. Like Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine has thousands of doctors. Uh, It's growing exponentially who advocate, hey, try. we advocate a plant-based diet. Uh, They're still the minority, but they're growing and they have credibility because they're all doctors. And uh, there's been a lot of breakthrough uh, with movies like The Game Changers, What the Health, that show that we are, well, as, as one genius, Dr. Silas Rao, who's the founder of Climate Healer, says we're all being factory farmed. Mm-hmm. Our system is based on death, disease and destruction, death for the animals, disease for the humans, destruction for the planet. You cannot charge for an operation that isn't needed. You can't sell a pill to somebody who actually doesn't need that pill. So um, are there scientists? I mean, I see the need to get an entire army group team of respected scientists to say this animal experimentation stuff is just medieval. We're in the 21st century. Uh, There are organs on a chip. There are X, Y, Z experiments that are more effective than just torturing these animals. We need to change. Us saying it, I'm not a scientist. So yes, I'll sign any petition, but are you gathering those scientists together sort of like PCRM is doing with doctors to make the case. Yes. In fact, um, within the team I work in, there are several scientists who have some who have actually done vivisection in the past and who have realized that this is not the way to go, be it either through recognizing that it was ethically unjustifiable or also that it wasn't actually you know, putting forth the promise of a cure that they initially thought it would. So whatever it be the reason, we have a team of scientists at PETA, but also a lot of scientists allies across the world who are doing remarkable work and um, challenging the status quo, focusing on developing these uh, animal-free models for, like you said, Oregon on a chip, which I personally have had the experience of working with. And it's just, it's so fascinating. And it also, it was so upsetting that there were so many avenues that I couldn't take because a, a reagent to purchase was very expensive because again, like what's that? So a reagent, sorry, like I tend to get into that lingo. So, so, you know, um, in order to culture or grow these cells or these organoids and keep them alive in a dish, they also need nutrients. And uh, so we get 
different formulations of different nutrients that they just come in these bottles and you just feed your little mini organ. And for some reason, the, the ones needed to grow the human organoids from my time in graduate school were very expensive. And so it, it would, it would be hard to get certain purchases approved if you wanted to um, do that. And for some faculty, it's like, Hey, if I'm taking on a graduate student, um, I want to be able to have them graduate soon and not be here for decades, just trying to get this small experiment to work. So um, yeah, it comes back to that. I want to have a good publication record, want to have a good grant record, want to have a good um, rate of graduating students. So for me, I understand the pressures of being able to satisfy that and therefore, okay, let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's just do what we've always been doing so that my job is safe. And I think something that I also want to, to explore more is, okay, how can um, we provide a supportive uh, structure for people like that? And, you know, maybe they do want to turn a new leaf, but the system is so set in its ways that there are so many other risks that are going to come with, you know, shifting away from the status quo. So how can we, as a community of animal rights activists, um, also pro-science, but anti-animal experimentation, provide a supportive network for these people so they might find allyship with us and rather not view us as just a bunch of angry people yelling at them, but as people who are going to be supportive. And I, and I really hope the research modernization deal does um, offer that as far as a concrete framework goes and eventually, um, you know, just change the paradigm of science. Absolutely. So what's next? What are you, if you could make something happen tomorrow, what, what is that in terms of ending animal experimentation? Ooh, tomorrow. Oh my. (laughs) Uh, You know, it would be, I, in an ideal world, it would be that everyone inherently saw the worth of every single creature and critter on this planet and didn't, and would justify their not experimenting on animals because they saw the worth of that other being. That would be my, you know, utopia. But as we talk about being practical, um, it would just be that we recognize the, the lack of feasibility of animal experimentation and people, the government, scientists, everybody comes together collectively to say, this is not the way to go. If we want to cure cancer for all kinds of cancer, we want to cure HIV, we want to cure sepsis. The way to do it is human-based individualized precision medicine or animal-free experimentation, whatever it be, that's going to be the default. It's like you, when you go to any, you know, be uh, like a store, like a drug store, and you're going to buy a shampoo, 
it do, you don't even have to verify if it's cruelty for your test on animals because that's going to be the default. Testing on animals is not going to be a thing. Last and, question. Europe yeah. seems a little bit ahead of us, but maybe that's just my impression. Uh, I know when I was in Europe several years ago, uh, before the pandemic, uh, I would say, oh, is this cruelty free? And I don't know whether that's for sure, but they'd say, oh, of course it's cruelty free. You know, in other words, like, why would you even ask? Do you get the sense that Europe is ahead of us or not? I, I would think that Europe is a bit ahead of us in that, you know, when I see when I do my research on publications on organ on a chip or, or even conversations about the use of animals or providing a framework to transition away from using animals, a lot of them, like when I go to see the, author, the, the authorship that went into that publication, a lot of them are based in Europe. So I, it's, it's really wonderful to see that. And I hope that will mobilize the research community in the United States as well um, to want to catch up and perhaps take over and set the precedent, you know, just um, that would also be something that would be wonderful to see that like, hey, we got to catch up and we should um, like, let's ignite that fire and fuel that, pro uh, that progress in, um, uh, towards that. And Interestingly, I do see a lot of that momentum when it comes to cruelty-free cosmetics, not so much with other, um, like when it comes to medication. So yeah, I would hopefully like to see that being the default as well, where you go in to take a, some medication for your headache and you don't, it's by default not tested on animals. So that's my vision. We only have a couple of minutes, but I wanted to ask you about your mentorship. You also, on top of everything else, you <laughs> have an animal activism mentorship program? That Well, I did join the animal activism mentorship program. Tell us about it. Tell us about yes, it. Yes. So we, um, I joined the program last year, and it's basically a mentorship program to help new and upcoming activists find their voice and use their own creativity to fight for animal liberation. So we're a global group of mentors and mentees, and we, um, we're actually going to be having a convergence in Chicago at the end of July. So definitely check out Facebook, uh, Facebook Animal Activism Mentorship for more details. Um, we cover all sorts of protests and we do demonstrations. We do food giveaways. Um, so it's, it's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful community of activists. I found some really dear friends. Um, we are out of time. Unfortunately, yeah. I want to say thank you, Shreya. You have been a wealth of information. We will have an article on Shreya with all the links to everything she's talking about on unchainedtv.com coming up soon. Uh, once again, I'm just blown away by all the work you do and the, how diverse it is from fighting animal experimentation in a very uh, academic way, which I think is great, to uh, writing articles, to mentoring other vegans, to helping restaurants transition um, to a plant-based menu. Wow. I am blown away. Shreya, thank you so much for joining us and uh, keep it up.
Ah, oh, thank you for all you do, Jane. You're an inspiration. And a lot of what I do is inspired by your stories and your passion. So thank you. Thank you so much. It's a team effort. Thank you. Carry on. See you next time on Voice America Radio. Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week. Thank you.